Hi, I'm Kim Rickards, professional superglue and co-creator of Manifest. Manifest is a global platform with a vision to empower professionals of color to make connections and build intentional community to manifest careers, dreams, and goals. In this podcast, we will nurture, inspire, connect, and elevate our listeners through relevant stories and conversations. Now, let's Manifest. Welcome to Let's Manifest, y'all. One of my favorite things about Let's Manifest podcast is connecting intentionally with individuals and amplifying their stories. Today, I'm joined by Marketing Operations Manager, Latinx Employee Resource Group Co-Lead, the Latinista Los Angeles Lead, Jessica Vasquez. Jessica is a driven and passionate professional with over a decade of experience in the television industry. She manages on-air, off-channel, affiliate digital, and social video content production and distribution for high-exposure campaigns. She identifies and develops strategic business partnerships both internally and externally. She implements solutions to effortlessly, efficiently, sorry, and effortlessly, I must say, streamline workflows and explores new marketing segments and technologies. Before we meet Jessica, I want to remind you all listening to amplify your voice by leaving a review. I want to know what you love and what you don't necessarily love about this podcast. So feel free to share because all feedback is appreciated. Now let's meet the lady of the hour. Jess, welcome to Let's Manifest. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I know that what Kim said was a mouthful. Um, (laughs) I often get asked what it is that I do. Um, And so in short, I wanted to recap what that means in sort of, you know, in in my everyday. And so I'm the one person on a project that really has a bird's eye view, while also knowing all of the intricacies of every single workflow of the marketing campaign and its key beats. And so with that, it really allows me to influence and drive conversations across the different partners and teams for on what's best for the campaign in order for us to meet all of our deadlines. And while that might be also maybe a little bit of a mouth, mouthful, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really in short, I'm a connector. I'm connecting folks. I'm having conversations about timelines and deliverables and making sure that the campaign goes smoothly while everyone on the campaign itself feels safe that I'm there making sure that we connect all the dots. I love that. And just you and I had the pleasure of working together while we were at Viacom. But over the years, we lost touch, but recently connected through the pandemic, which again, one of the positive things that came out of that for me has been reunions. And now we're here. We're we're working together again, but recording this podcast. So I just wanted to thank you for making the time for us to do this. And, you know, today we'll catch up and listeners will learn more about what you've been up to. But before we do that, I wanted to play the signature Less Manifest game, which is this or that. Have you played before? I haven't. Oh, ooh, I love it. I love when, <laughs> I love when people haven't played before. So essentially, the rules to the game are for you to say whatever comes to mind, and you're not supposed to think. The game is actually set up so that listeners can now start to connect with you on a different level. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the way that it goes, I'm going to ask you eight things, and you're going or eight questions, and then you are going to just say whatever you prefer as quickly as you can. Ready? Ready. All right, the first one, dog or cat? Dog. Horror movie or comedy movie? Comedy. Phone call or text? Text. Avocado toast or regular toast? (laughs) Avocado toast. 
Swimming or sunbathing? Sunbathing, only because I don't know how to swim. (laughs) (laughs) Remember from New York? (laughs) Is it like swimming pools are not in demand? I mean, they are high in demand because everyone wants one, but we don't have that many there. Mm -hmm. Um, What about high tech or low tech? Low tech. Passenger or driver? Passenger. The last one, Netflix or YouTube? Oh, Netflix. <laughs> that was a setup. That was a setup. So, <laughs> listeners, that's a trick question. <laughs> that was a trick question. And the reason why I, I like that one is because even if you said YouTube, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, it's content, yeah. it's content. But of course, you want to be able to shout out your employer. So shout out to Netflix (laughs) for awesome content. And now as listeners know a little bit more about you, we're going to go deeper. And I want you to share three things people may not know about you. I would say um, I often come across as fun and lighthearted and always being positive. And I think a lot of folks don't necessarily know some of the things that that allowed me to really come to be in that space. And so the one thing that really shaped my young adulthood was having a correction for scoliosis surgery at the age of 20. Um, And while that's not extremely young, but it's in a pretty intricate time in my life where I was going from, I was graduating college, I was sort of seeing what I was going to do with my future. And it really allowed me to think and appreciate and be grateful for the moments. And I was out of commission for about a month physically. And they opened up my entire back and put rods from my neck to my lower back. And so I have a sandwiched spine. Wow. It's, um, it was a really hard, difficult recovery process, but in essence, it really did shape me to be a more grateful adult for the opportunities that laid ahead for me and, and to keep that positive attitude, because I always remember that difficult recovery and how I don't necessarily want to put myself in a situation to be in a recovery of some sort again in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one of them. Uh, The second one that's kind of dark, but (laughs) it really did shape and give me a lot of perspective. The second thing is, um, I I often, we often forget as adults how to have fun. And I always, I, whenever I was younger or I was a kid, one of the, even now, one of the first questions I ask kids is what's your favorite color? And I find that as adults, we don't really ask that anymore. So another thing that people might not know about me is that my favorite color is purple. Oh. Yeah. And um, I've had some of my coworkers ask me if my favorite color was blue because I wear a lot of blue. But in reality, my favorite color is purple. Uh, (laughs) So that's the second thing. Let's see. The third thing is I, a lot of people love pickles. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) No pickles. Okay. And is there a story behind it? You're just like, no. No, no, <laughs> no story. Just always, uh, it's always been a no. Hard it's always been a no. And I am a person who actually enjoys pickles. Like that's kind of my jam. I don't eat them as often as probably I would love to, but I've always loved them. No one has ever had to force me to eat that. There are some other things I'm like, oh, 
like beets, but <laughs> oh, yeah. that goes on the list with pickles. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, mm, I don't know about the beets. I don't know. They stain. It's just too much. Um, the other question I love to ask my guests is, what's your advice or what would be your advice for 16-year-old Jessica? 16-year-old Jessica was very confused, very insecure, and very much in love, quote unquote, with her then high school boyfriend. Um, and what, what I what I would tell her is to live in the moment, uh, relax more, and not worry as much. Mm. Yeah. That that Jessica was very involved in high school drama and I lived in a bubble of what I thought was that you know my world was and who my world would be and I gave a lot of uh, I well I gave a few people a bit more power over me than myself having power and that had to do with a lot of my insecurities um and I'll be very vulnerable one of my insecurities was physical I I I my boobs didn't grow in till way later so you know that's part of me telling myself then is to live in the moment and not worry about the fact that I you know didn't have boobs <laughs> right like you know it like I I wish I could go back and tell myself like hey either they'll grow in or you can buy them like one or one way or the other you'll be okay like stop worrying about that stop worrying about your physical insecurities and just live in the moment call like relax more and go with the flow because these are this is the time to have fun this is a time to spend time with your friends and family and do different things and be present as opposed to being so wrapped up in my insecurities and the what ifs and what's going to happen after high school and things like that mm-hmm. and I think that would be that would have maybe given 16 year old Jessica a different perspective right i love that and i love how you said live in the moment because I feel myself included, sometimes I am not living in the moment. I'm ahead of the moment, right? Like I'm already thinking about the next thing as opposed to truly absorbing the space that I'm in. And I have to say that you've been doing this and I think you've been doing it intentionally, right? Because of everything you've gone through. But as we start to get into more of your career story, I wanted to ask you, what's one word to describe your career trajectory? And then I want you to share with listeners all of the cool things that you've done and the reason why you've used that word. (laughs) Absolutely. The one word I would say to describe my career trajectory is surprising. (laughs) That's a good word. That's a good word. It's surprising. If, you know, if you were to ask the 16-year-old me, the 21-year-old me after college, I would have not told you I'd be where I am now. I had always dreamed of, even when I was in junior high school, I dreamed of just being on Wall Street in a suit and a briefcase, uh, making 100K or more right out of college and knowing the ins and outs of stocks and bonds, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fast forward in college, I went to NYU and I decided to major in finance. And shortly after, I want to say, Towards the end of my sophomore year, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. And however, I made the decision not to change my major because I couldn't afford to spend another year there. Um, right. And so that's one of the that's parentheses. That's one of the things that 
if I would have come from a different family, or even if I would have given myself more leeway or thought bigger picture, maybe I would have even taken that chance. But the constraints in my life at that moment and the planner in me said, look, you really want to do marketing, but your finance degree can technically get you there. So let's go that route and see what happens. Um, but if I would have given myself more leeway, maybe had a, a mentor, a guide, or a different perspective of how I could potentially get through another year of NYU with my current finances. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I worked two jobs to pay for tuition while I was there. Oh my goodness. Things could have been differently, but I tried to do the best with what I had. And so I ended I ended NYU with a finance international business and minor in Latin American studies degree. And I went on to work at MTV Networks, which is where I met you, working in the affiliate marketing department as a finance analyst, which is a place where I fell more in love with marketing, essentially. And I realized... (laughs) I realized that I didn't want to continue to do finance there. However, the same mentality of fear kept me in that finance realm because I didn't know anything else. And I grew up knowing that I needed a job that would be stable, that I needed health insurance, that I needed a steady paycheck. And all this comes from, in my own opinion, it comes from a family of immigrants where it's this fearful mentality that today is here, but tomorrow isn't always promised. So you have to be as prepared as possible. And it's not a type of mentality that it says like, go figure, figure it out, go find yourself, go backpacking in Europe. It's not that it's, I remember my mom saying, don't take vacation because they could fire you. And remember, you need this job, you need health insurance. So I stayed in finance for four and a half years. Wow. And after that, It was a blessing in disguise where uh, the company went through a reorg and I was affected by that. And before you knew it, you know, literally the next day I wasn't in my finance role anymore and I was scared shitless. Oh my goodness. I thought my world had had like the rug was just like dragged from under me and I thought my world was over and I thought to myself what am I going to do now Viacom was my favorite company I thought I was going to work there for 20 years and retire from there and that's where I was going to end up being a VP etc this is my (laughs) this is my goal and my vision as a at that time 20 21 year old right so it was a, a complete 180 in in my day to day and so I reached out to some of my at that point, mentors, which luckily, you know, fingers crossed, and I thank them every day for this. I call them my career godparents, Mm -hmm. um, because you do need angels taking care of you and knowing you and, and knowing what you're worth um, when you're not in the room. So I reached out to them and they said, Hey, Jess, there's this freelance gig at Nickelodeon. They need someone who knows budgets, but it's not a finance role. Well, would you take it? And I said, yes, of course. So I, two weeks later, I was working at Nickelodeon as an event coordinator for the event marketing team. I was there for almost two years, and it was the best, craziest time of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I learned so much. I learned that finance is a trans- transitional skill that can lead you to other places. And I learned 
what it meant to have other departments put together an event. And one of those departments is production and all the AV assets, all the audio assets and the run of show. And that team was so particular because the VP took a liking to me and really brought me under her wing. She's one of the best bosses I've ever had in life and amazing people. And I remember she took me on my first work trip and she said, is this your first work trip? Because I, I must have made a comment because I was trying not to be the, the girl that had never been on a work trip. <laughs> <laughs> and I said something like, wait, it's a king, a king size bedroom. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, I don't need that. And she said, wait, is this your first work trip? And I said, yes. And she said, oh my God, we're going to put you in the king size bedroom. I get to the hotel and it's a beautiful room. And I I was hardly in it because we worked so much, but Mm -hmm. the idea that she went out of her way and the key word is access. I didn't have access and she did. And she took it to, took it to made a point to put me in a room that allowed me to feel worthy and Mm -hmm. allowed me to feel seen so that I can bring my best self to work each day. So I feel like she knew what she was doing as a leader because she, she noticed that about me. She noticed I was a hard worker, but she also noticed that this was my first work trip and she wanted to make it special. And she knew that it would have a positive impact on, on my work style during that really intensive weekend for kids choice awards. So that's, that was that. And I sort of, you know, everything in between for events within Nickelodeon for the next year and a half was, was an eye opener and an adventure to say the least. I was your, I was your girl. I was getting boxes, lifting boxes, mailing boxes, grabbing soda, grabbing water, um, booking everything, everything, booking cover, setting like uh, hotel slots. And it was just a little bit of everything. And it was amazing. Um, My team did get reorged. I stayed on the team and then organically and, uh, my another mentor of mine, I only have a few in, in life, I would say as far as my career goes, one of them reached out to me and mentioned there was a production opportunity at HBO um, and they needed someone who knew how to do budgets, but also knew project management. I said to myself, well, I think I'm okay here at Nickelodeon. I'm not sure if I want to leave yet. And my mentor said, well, I don't care in, in other words, right? I mean, she said it much nicer, but I, at the end of the day, she, what she was saying was, I don't care if you're not ready. You need to do this because this opportunity is not going to come back around. Wow. And it was so direct. You needed that. I needed that because at that point in my life, Nickelodeon was fun. It was edgy. It was the place I wanted to be. I was learning so much. I was meeting so many people. And, you know, before, before I knew it, it was almost two years But if she wouldn't have come and told me, listen, you're probably ready. You just haven't even thought about it. And this opportunity isn't going to come around. I would have stayed there and, you know, my life would have been different and that's okay. But sometimes you don't know what you're ready for yourself. Other people do. And that's when I say career godparents or angels or mentors and guides, you need those individuals in your life to tell you when you're ready for something or where where there's an opportunity that can bring you more than you even know that for yourself just yet. So I went ahead and I interviewed, got the role and I was at HBO for a total of eight years. 
I grew as a person and as a professional there. I worked on so many different projects and all under the marketing operations umbrella. And I didn't know what a marketing operations was. I was like, what am I going to go do? What is this marketing operations business entail? And so what it, what it really means is a little bit of production, a little bit of budgeting, and a lot of project and people management. And I didn't know this, but I, I was good at people management. I listen. I empathize. I'm solutions-oriented. I am fun. I'm lighthearted. However, I know when to say no. Uh-huh. And people understand when I'm saying no because I don't always say no because I'm always trying to look for a solution. Right. So people respect that. And that brought that became my strength at HBO. Um, and I was able to really pivot in different ways there and working on different teams and projects like HBO Go, Max Go, the first uh, Cinemax original series, HBO Latino, HBO International, a lot of the multicultural campaigns. And it really led to me f- being fulfilled as a professional, being promoted, having my own team, mentoring younger professionals, bringing them into aka the system um, Mm. giving access and Mm -hmm. you know I go back to like what it is that I do in my job and I mentioned I was a connector there's much more to that word that I encompass Um, and part of that connecting is to bring people into the fold for me it was hard a little harder to get into the the industry because I didn't have internships because I didn't have time to internships because I was busy working working yeah college and again, I didn't have someone to tell me, hey, Jess, maybe you can have a part-time internship. Internship. I didn't know part-time internships existed. So there's a lot that I go back and I say, oh, what if, what if, what if? But I can't stay in that space. What I could do is I know now those opportunities that are available. Let me give those opportunities or give awareness or give access to those opportunities for the younger um, professionals that are out there looking to get to a place where I am. I could do that. I can't mm-hmm. change my past, right. but I can give access. And that's something that I had. I had some access because it did take a lot for me to get those opportunities, but I didn't have all the access that some others had. But instead of being salty about it or resentful, what I'm doing is I take that and it gives me fuel. It gives me energy and it gives me hope and optimism that I can provide this access and this awareness to our younger professionals so I can make it easier for them. I want to tell them, hey, look, work your two jobs or let's figure something out so that you're not killing yourself. You enjoy your college experience, but you're also getting a part-time internship so you can put on your resume or on your LinkedIn profile. Right. And you know these companies see you and you can get into the industry faster and you grow. Um, and so that's that's where I am as far as like at the end of my HBO sort of trajectory, I became more of a mentor, more of giving back, et cetera, even through their specific ERG as well. Um, and then little by little, I had a friend uh, connect with me who was in LA at that time. And he said, Hey, Jess, we have an opportunity at Netflix that I think you'd be good for. That was about two years before I actually got to Netflix <laughs> uh, that's that, how it happens that's yeah how it happens. that opportunity didn't didn't pan out it was on his team and he's a really good friend of mine and they needed someone to 
get up and running within three months. Um, and that was a different expertise than what my expertise was at the time. And so I, we, we agreed to disagree and, you know, mainly because I didn't want to set him up for failure as a first time manager at the company. And then mm-hmm. he didn't want me to be set up for failure as someone coming into that company. And, right. and, Someone might say, well, why didn't you just like give it your all? And I thought I was ready. If they would have offered it to me, You'd have done I it. would have done it. But <laughs> here's the one thing about this company that I truly respect. And now even more than when I wasn't there is they took the time to explain to me what that three month runway entailed. And it was just as soon as you heard of all the expectations Anyone would have said, okay, you know what, we need to revisit this. And they respect that. And that's the one thing about Netflix that I love. They are so honest. They're so clear and transparent about what it is that they're looking for, what their roles entail, and what it really means to come into a company like that with its culture. And so I, I say all that because everything is clear in hindsight. But the fact that someone, t- a lot of folks took their time out to explain to you what you would really get yourself into and allow you to take the, fr- uh, the time and the freedom to decide whether or not you're ready for that yet. And then even say, furthermore, it's okay. We have you on file. We want you here. There might be some more opportunities in the near future. Mm-hmm. That's almost... Uh, it makes you, again, like I said before, it makes you feel seen, worthy, and heard. And a, a little secure in yourself, too. Like, okay, the work that I'm presently doing is amounting to something. Right. Let me make, let me be, like, a, a, let me be strategic here. And uh, and so I was. And so two years went by in a blink of an eye. There were times where I forgot about Netflix. At times where I said, no way, I'm not moving across the country. And then other times where I would find myself daydreaming, well, what would I do if I'd be working there? <laughs> and then surely, slowly but surely, here came another opportunity. And it was a, a lateral move. It was also a marketing operations manager. And I said to myself, well, I'm not sure if I want to make a lateral move because I think I'm, I want to, I want to be a director. And so we're on the, on the call. And again, the transparency, the honesty, uh, titles work very differently at Netflix and, mm. And it, the scope of the job is very different as well. And as soon as all we, that conversation went really well. And I said, I sat down and I said, okay, this is it. Uh, this is it. Uh, they gave me two years to kind of like find my place at Netflix and keep these conversations open and this window open. If I don't take this now, it's not the same conversation as two years ago, mm-hmm. you know? The, the team's more structured, the company's more structured. It makes sense. And every doubt that I had, I would call the HR rep and I would tell her and she would come back and, and say something. And I would say, okay, I have like, it, I don't have any more doubts. Everything on my list of, of why not became an okay, or it became a green light or, or plus. And I, I, I took it. I took the leap of faith that was so, hard to do in my in my own being because I had lived for so long in this place of fear I had gotten other opportunities in the past while at HBO and my fear 
never allowed me to take those opportunities because I always felt like I needed to do more at HBO. I wanted to do more. I wanted to grow more. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be promoted. Um, and then when I realized sometimes those opportunities you have to create for yourself or you really have to take them when someone else presents them to you because they might not come where you're currently at. And when I started to shift my mindset, things were easier to attract and to make decisions on, like this this instance. And so it was a matter of everything. Oh, my God. Everything happened so fast. It was incredible. <laughs> after I said that, after I put my mind to it, I had an offer within two weeks. Wow. I was, I was moving within two months. And I was at Netflix within two and a half months. It was um, surprising. It, it was surprising. It was exactly. New city. I never, I had never hung out in LA, never lived in LA, didn't really have friends in LA. Um, so new city, new job, new me, right? Right. <laughs> so it was really a great experience and freaking nerve wracking at the same time, scary but I knew that I, I had to do it. I had to do it for my 16-year-old Jessica. I had to do it for my 25-year-old Jessica. And I had to do it for my future Jessica. Right, right, right. And I think like that's the, the, the joy in pushing past fear is knowing that everything that you're doing is going to benefit the future you, you know? So you are dispelling all the myths that 16-year-old and 25-year-old self may have believed and you're pushing through for future self to thrive, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe that you have set yourself up pretty nicely. And you just mentioned being surprised by your career trajectory and the importance of being seen. You've said that several times. So I want to know, you know, what has your experience been working for top entertainment companies as a Latina and then the second part of that question is, would you say the need to be a career godparent is what led you to leading Netflix's Hispanic ERG? <laughs> um, yes, it, my experience has been quite a journey. Uh, there has been a lot that I've had to dismantle growing up in, in my Latino family, where I grew up you know, being told that I, I only speak when I'm spoken to. Um, and then I looked prettier not talking because oh. sometimes what I, what I would have to say was too attitude-y. And, and some of this sounds harsher in Spanish. So, <laughs> um, so just think of, think of like being a teenager or a kid being told, you know, don't speak unless you're talked to or saying like, oh, you look prettier quiet. And so those two wow. things just... And also hierarchy, you know, the, the, you have to respect your elders, you have to respect your parents, no talking back. Um, if, I would, if I would roll my eyes, I would get a smack behind my head. You know, there were so many things that were, and yes, my, my parents did hit me when I was a kid that, you know, I told that that was a thing and I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> it, it was a thing and it kept me in line. It kept me very disciplined, but the it was more of like what was told to me that made an impact in my mindset of fear and i have i've made amends with it because my parents come from colombia and they were grown up 
that way. They grew up that way. And then when they came to this country in the 70s and 80s, they only knew how to survive here. They weren't thinking of, you know, what, what your, what's your passion? What's your purpose? They just knew that they had to survive in this country. And that was their American dream. And growing up, I didn't understand that. I would say like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Um, and that all led to my journey at Netflix and in these top entertainment companies because I, I got myself there. Uh-huh. But I didn't know how to navigate the intricacies of what it means to work in a corporate, an entertainment corporation, an entertainment company, and entertainment teams, and dealing with uh, corporate executives and talent and team dynamics. I didn't know what that meant and how to navigate it. I didn't have anyone necessarily to lean on who had done this before in my family that or a close friend that I can say, hey, like tell me the real deal. How am I going to survive this? How am I going to be successful here? And so for me, it's been a journey. It's been a journey of finding my voice and allowing people to, to see that I don't have to be an asshole to be firm. Right. I don't have to. That's a huge thing. Say that again. You don't have to be an asshole to be firm. (laughs) Yeah. And it's difficult because I don't want to lose myself. And I, and I did. Uh, when I started working at HBO, I was one of the younger people on the team. I was 27 at the time. And I, I was pretty, um, I would say, I, I don't know how to say it, but I didn't wear makeup. I, I still dress very casual from, you know, from my time at Viacom. And people would often tell me that I, I looked younger than what I was. And so I remember getting asked, a handful of times throughout like my first six months if I was the intern and it would boil my blood. I'm like, Mm. no, I'm not the intern. And it doesn't matter. People don't know any better. You know, what mattered is what should have mattered is how I reacted to it. And I let that get the best of me. But what it did do was allowed me to start observing and listening. And I wasn't, I wasn't in tune with what those two things could do for you as a young professional. I always was the doer. I was always running around and didn't have the quote unquote time to listen and observe. When I got to HBO, I started doing that because I realized that it's not what it is, what I think of myself, but it's also what people think of me perception. Right. And if I see myself as this manager and I'm doing all this work and I keep saying, but I'm doing the work, I'm doing the work it's not going to go as far because everyone else doesn't see me as a manager. They don't see the work that I'm doing because I'm doing it all in my office with my head down, not talking because I grew up that I grew up thinking you're not supposed to talk. You're not supposed to voice what you're doing. You're just supposed to do the work and someone's miraculously going to come tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, I see you're, you know, you're here till 10 p.m. You're here till 8 p.m. You come in at seven and you're doing all the work, you know, kumbaya, here's your manager title. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> exactly. And so in, in before that, it was, it was like that. Like I would did all the work. I got my high school diploma. I did all my work. I got my college diploma. You know, I got, I did all these work hours. I got my paycheck. So it, it, it was very difficult. Even at, at Viacom, the, the dynamics were different. So, but in hindsight, even there, I never, 
I never shared my my accomplishments with anyone on the team. And I could have probably grown so much or done so much more if I would have had a voice or or had a stronger voice because I've always had a voice. Right. But, or if I would have observed or if I would have listened. And no one was there to really teach me the ropes. But when I got it to HBL, I was like, okay, hold up, pump the brakes. What's happening here? Why am I getting confused for an intern? What can I do better? Why aren't people seeing me for how I'm seeing myself and what I'm bringing to the table? So I did what maybe I did what I thought was right at the time. So, which people, is what we all do. <laughs> people often would go on cigarette breaks or on coffee breaks, and I don't. I'm, at that time, I was neither a cigarette smoker nor a coffee drinker. And I said, "Well, I have one of two options. Am I going? Am I going to start smoking or am I going to start drinking coffee?" And so I started <laughs> drinking coffee, <laughs> and I would ask everyone and their mother and brother for coffee, and. Little by little, I started creating relationships outside of my office, outside of the lunchroom, outside of the elevator ride, and really sharing with them where I came from, what I was working on, what my ambitions were. And then I also, this this is a little funny to me now, but it, they are part of my wardrobe even till this day, but I started wearing blazers. I hmm. noticed that this one person would wear all sorts of blazers and she made them colorful. So she wasn't stiff looking. She was playful, but she had a blazer. And somehow it, for me, I thought, well, damn, she looks like a badass, but she's still like fun. And I was right. like, okay, that's, that's something I would like to be. And so I started wearing all sorts of blazers and I started getting known for my blazers. And it was, it was amazing to me because then people wanted to have a conversation with me. Um, I also started to throw on a little bit of makeup and that was just in my own, you know, probably like my own self-conscious about like, how can I make myself be viewed a little bit older so I could stop being asked if I'm an intern. Mm -hmm. So I started throwing on a little bit of makeup, hoping that I would look a little older, plus my blazer game. And I was like, okay, blazer, makeup and coffee. This is going to be like, this is my one strategy for the next year. And throughout the year, you know, the makeup wasn't every day. And little by little, people started perceiving me beyond my physical, um, my physical looks, you know, oh, it's not that you look young. Now they're, now they're asking me about my projects. Now they're not asking me about my blazers. They're asking me about what I want to do on the team or what other team am I thinking of joining? So here are like conversations that at the beginning, my physical appearance didn't allow others to get past that. But if I, I made these small changes and they were able to see me for what I really wanted to, them to see me for my skill set, for my strengths, for my passions and for my ambitions. And so that's when things really started to change. And then I really focused on what that voice is. Mm. Um, so if you ask me for like, what has it been like? working at those two companies, HBO made a big deal, made, made a big presence in my professional career because I was there for eight years. So I really grew. That was part, that journey was a long, significant long journey. Right. And it really helped me become a strong candidate to, to work at Netflix and have a strong foundation with who I am to be able to work at Netflix and, and 
stand tall against, not against, but with the Netflix culture, which if I didn't have that, it would probably be a little more difficult to navigate the Netflix culture when I got there. Um, But working at Netflix as a Latina has been has been so much fun. Um, I don't think I've ever felt as authentic as I do now working at a company. And my manager, immediate, the first immediate three, six months, told me, hey, I have feedback. You need to find your voice. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you see, here yeah. is that you were doing all these things and someone was seeing you mm-hmm. throughout all of this. Someone was seeing you and someone actually recognized that while I see you, I don't hear you. So in the past, you were being told, you know, it's better to be silent. And now here it is. Someone is like, actually, I want to see and hear you. You have to find your voice. Yes. And it's been such a good growing experience in a different way because now I'm doing internal work and I'm doing work that's going to elevate my skill set as opposed to focusing on uh, physical appearances or what others may think of me because I already know that my leadership has my best intentions at heart and they want me to grow and flourish as a as a professional as a team player and also as a future leader And so what I'm really focusing on there is how do I evolve as a professional? What are some of the skills that I don't currently have in my toolkit that I really could use in this role? Or, you know, oh, I have these skills. Where would I want to put these skills to use? Or in the future, what other teams are there? And these are things that I I didn't have the, um, it wasn't in my view Mm. To think that way in here because all of these distractions are turned off because it's a safe atmosphere. It's an atmosphere of growth and elevation and honest feedback. I don't have to worry about that. So those are all distractions that I don't have to worry about. Or I would say that I don't, not distractions, but they're things I don't have to think about because they're safe. And now I just have to say, okay, well, how can I continue to bring my best, most authentic self forward, because that's what this company wants. And that's what they um, hired me for. Right. And that's the blessing of it. And the, the, I think of it in my head and I'm like, wow, there's, there are no limits. No, there really aren't. There are no limits. We are the limit, you know, like we're the ones that limit ourselves. And that's the one thing that I think, you know, as I'm listening to you, one of the things that I'm encouraged by is the fact that you continue to push past what could have been a limit, you know, and you have really made a way for yourself, you know, and, and done it in a way that's authentically Jessica. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. And, um, and you mentioned a little bit about, you know, what that, how does that lead me to partake in my company's Latino ERG. And I would say I found, I find myself continuing to, I didn't, there was a point where I didn't consider myself to be a leader. I considered myself to be a good follower. And mm. in life, you, you need, you need 
to know both. that. You need, to, yeah. you need both and you need to know like, you know, I can be a leader, but I can also be a follower. And I had always said, hey, look, I'm your biggest cheerleader. I got your back. I will support you. You need me to write your recommendation. Like I was never, I was always part, like part of the group. I was part of bringing people with me. Like if someone mm-hmm. would say, hey, Jess, like, can you come to this like conference? I would always say, well, do you have two extra tickets? Because I could, I know two people. I'm that girl. Like sometimes it's annoying. Right. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I know these two other people who could really benefit from this or you know, I would say, I, I really want, I really want to go, but I know someone else who could benefit from it more. There's some things to be said about leadership and, and the perception of what that means little by little over the course of my career, I learned different leadership styles based on my own leadership and those different roles and things that I didn't want to do, how I didn't want to lead And then other times where I said, oh, wow, I really want to lead that way. And so my leadership style is a bit of everyone's cons and pros and cons. Um, And so all to say is I am a leader that can also, that's like foundation. My foundation as a leader is a follower and I know how to be a follower. And that sort of makes me a better leader. And coming into Netflix I realized that there isn't one way to be a leader and I've always been a leader as a follower and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that because it's almost, I'm more real. I relate more and know how to lead because I don't take myself so seriously. Right. And I take myself seriously when there's the need for it, but on a daily basis, for the most part, it's not that serious. Like, and if so, we all need to get there together. Mm-hmm. Better so, together. Yeah, exactly. And so that led me to saying, as soon as I got to Netflix, I had been very involved in my in the Latinx ERG at HBO as a leader. Um, and I sort of fell into that role because, quite honestly, at the time, there weren't as many active members. And so it was almost organic. And, and I said, okay, yeah, this sounds great. This sounds fun. Let me do it. And so again, like people saw me as a leader and I didn't see myself as a leader. And, and then I said, oh, this is what I'm doing. All right, we're here. And so <laughs> when I got to Netflix, I said, well, I, I need a community. Let me join Somos, which is the Latinx ERG. And it helped in so many ways. I was able, I still am. Um, I'm now the co-chair going uh, this year, the co-chair for the LA office. And it's helped shape me It's also helped me have a different perspective on different cultures. Uh, Growing up in New York, I grew up with very diverse friends. However, there are other cultures in LA that I've become friends with that I'm learning more about the Mexican culture. I'm learning more about the El Salvadorian culture. And those two specifically, because I I do have a lot of friends in L.A. from those two cultures. And I didn't have that many friends from those two ethnic backgrounds in New York. So there has been a lot to say that I've had a lot of eye opening and discoveries based on uh, diverse friends growing up in L.A. that I wouldn't have had if I would have stayed in New York. And this is partly due it's partly because of Somos, because I joined Somos and I wanted a community and I found myself not just learning more about myself, but learning about 
what it means to be Latino for these other cultures in LA. And so I've been part of Somos now since I started, so almost two and a half years. And I, I started to be part of the leadership team about a year, almost two years ago. And I've been part of the programming team. And we brought really great programs to Netflix, such as um, this event called Juntos, which, mm. was, which was a studio mixer, aka studio streaming company mixer that we held at Netflix uh, April of 2019. And then in 2020. We teamed up with the studio mixer group in LA and we had a virtual studio mixer and that was a lot of fun as well. And then going into this year, I, I am now the LA co-chair. And so there's a lot coming coming up that we want to do for our internal membership. A part of that is, again, uh, back to my leadership style, it's I'm not authoritative, I'm not demanding but I understand, I help people understand the cause mm-hmm. the impact and therefore they move with me. Right. Um, no one's forcing anyone. And it's been an added on perk to working at Netflix, being part of Somos. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. And I will say that again, these are the programs that, those that are listening, if they don't have within their company, maybe interested in starting or leading an employee resource group, because there are many benefits to having them, you know, like not only do you get a chance to connect with other professionals and others within your team, but then you're exposed to others outside of the company when there are programs that are, um, that are held for people to come together and to build and grow and thrive you know, in and out of the office, because I do believe that ERGs are not just for internal connections, but also for external ones, because your next position may not be within the company, right? Like you are able to grow your network externally as well. So as we begin to wrap, I just wanted to ask you, what is your advice for listeners that may be in that position where they're like, look, I want to start one, or I want to lead this employee resource group because I'm connecting with you on so many levels, Jess. Yeah, well, first, first a piece of advice is get some time with me and <laughs> talk through um, any doubts that you may have, because if you are already thinking about it, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, if you're thinking about it, that means you have it in you. It means you have the passion. It means you want something more from your company that you might not be getting. And you're only a step away from providing that for yourself and providing for providing that for others that may be thinking and feeling the way that you do and haven't said anything because no one has said anything. So be that voice, not just for yourself, but for others that haven't thought about it or are thinking about it and haven't said anything. Uh, And secondly, you know, you can just start small. Don't think of it as something that's overwhelming and something that's impossible. Everyone who has founded an ERG at some company, some place has started. And whether it's just you, that's okay too. You just have to set the expectations. And that's the hardest thing I think for any ERG leader is what what do you want to give? What can you actually give? Because this is probably going to be your part-time job. That's not your part of your full-time job, but you love <laughs> right. that you can 
you put your heart and soul into it. So it's setting the expectation. I think that's for me that that was the reality within this last year with the pandemic is, okay, I don't want to, what I can't give what I gave in 2019, but what can I give in 2020 and letting people know that I'm still passionate. I'm still here. I'm still showing up, but allowing them to also see the vulnerable side of me and say, Hey, I can't give as much because this is, you know, these are the reasons why. And people understand what people need to know and see is that you're there for them and that you want to create this community and that respect will come, that community will come, that vulnerability will come as long as they have a place for it. And that's what you need to build. Mm-hmm. So just do it. Start at least start the conversation. And whether it's with an internal leader, your HR department, um, or even prior to that, just talk to me about it. There's so many ways to just start the conversation. And once you start that conversation, if it really ignites your fire for it, then you know you're having the right conversations and this is something you should do. Mm-hmm. If you have a conversation and somehow you're just like, oh, actually, this is not what I really wanted it for, then that's okay. Then you did your due diligence and you can put it to rest. Right. But do do the work and and be fearless, be right? Fearless. Take that that mindset of fear away. Right. Push past those limits indeed. And the last question, Jess, what are you manifesting? Ooh, one of the things that I've been manifesting that I am gonna be putting on my vision board this uh up this next weekend is that I'm manifesting living internationally for a few months within the next two years. I love that. Where where are you thinking to live? I'm going to leave it open-ended because within my company, there are a lot of different opportunities for you to go and either shadow or be part of a project in different countries. Mm -hmm. So ideally, I would probably, if I were to give like a number one area, I would say Europe Mm -hmm. and then second Latin America, but I'm pretty open. Um, I just want to have that experience under my belt because I'm very interested in learning work culture and work and work workflows in other countries and how I can influence that and how we can sort of bring all those workflows together in unity for the betterment of the business, the global business. Mm -hmm. And, and in addition to that, I want to explore how some of these other country offices execute their campaigns and then also how their ERG teams work and why some things work in some places that don't necessarily work in others and and analyze and compare. Um, And so that's why I don't know where exactly. I'm just keeping it open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Being open. Well, thank you for being open to recording with me because you truly were on board as soon as I mentioned this and I appreciate you for it. So thank you again for taking the time out to do this in the start of your day. (laughs) By the time listeners hear this, it'll be midday for them, but start of your day. And I am grateful for the fact that you have shared so transparently with listeners and myself so that we can all learn from you. I appreciate your willingness to be a resource to others, which is why I love doing this podcast, because this is an extension of 
how I am as a person. Like I'm always down for intentional connections. I'm always down to, you know, make sure that I am adding value. So it's always nice when the alignment is there for, or I should say between myself and my guests. So I'm appreciative for that. And listeners, you know, this message is for you specifically before you listen to the next episode of Less Man a Feast. Please don't forget to share, leave a review and connect with Jess on all socials listed in the show notes to stay connected to her manifestations. And then also, like she said, if you have any questions or if you want to run something by her, definitely feel free to drop her a line and just let her know that you heard her here on Less Man a Feast podcast. So again, Jessica, it's a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I sure did. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You are most welcome. And until next time, let's manifest. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Manifest podcast. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Share this with your family. Share this with your friends. Share this with your colleagues. Just share this with your entire community. And until next time, let's manifest.